Before we dive into God's word today on Sabbath, let us pray. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to be still, to hear your words to us now. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Amen. Today we continue in the Gospel of Luke, picking up this week in chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. I invite you to follow along in your Bible if you would like. Hear now the word of the Lord. One Sabbath, while Jesus was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked some heads of grain, rubbed them in their hands, and ate them. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught, and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would cure on the Sabbath so that they might find an accusation against him. Even though he knew what they were thinking, he said to the man who had the withered hand, Come and stand here. He got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to destroy it? After looking around at all of them, he said to them, Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. We'll go this far in God's word today. Thanks, Larry. (laughs) I changed up the ending of it. You still responded. Thanks. Well, today's passage, we find ourselves looking at Jesus in another quarrel with the religious leaders. This time, the quarrel is over the Sabbath. Now, before we go further, I just want to preface by saying that Jesus is not anti-Jewish. Jesus was a Jew, so don't get that idea. These are interfaith quarrels, um, debates within the family, if you will. And in Jesus' day, debates about Sabbath were really prominent. This was a hot topic. It centered around exactly what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath day. How many of you have ever overheard or found yourselves in these kind of debates? Anyone? Sabbath quarrels? Yes? Yeah, a couple, two. (laughs) Well, I have heard personally from some older folks here and in other congregations stories of being a kid and being really mad because you weren't allowed to play games or listen to music or do other things that were considered inappropriate for Sabbath. Did anyone here have those kinds of experiences? Anyone? Yeah? A couple? Okay. So for some older generations, I have heard that Sabbath sometimes felt prohibitive. Too many rules, too little fun. So maybe some of you were happy when cultural expectations about Sabbath eased up, when you were allowed to go out to eat on Sunday or watch a football game. The NFL would really suffer if we still upheld all those rules, right? Brandon's the only one who laughed. Apparently, he's our biggest NFL fan. (laughs) Yeah, what's NFL? That's what I ask every Sunday, right? 
then there's the experience of many and younger generations like mine. Um, you all have experienced this too because you're still around too. But we grew up in a 24-7 world. We can't imagine not being able to go to the grocery store or Taco Bell or really do whatever we want to do on a Sunday. So when I was growing up, Sundays were for church, but then it was chores and um, homework, just getting ready for the rest of the week. Anyone else had these experiences where sometimes the weekend feels more full than the week? Yeah, a few? Busy weekends? Yeah. So we've had this shift in our modern culture to a 24-7, on-the-go experience. And I hear from people, all generations alike, a desperate longing for rest. Now this morning, I'm not going to say that we have to go back to 1940s Sabbath rules where everything shuts down on Sabbath, though that might be kind of nice for some. I'm not advocating that we be forced to sit in our rooms quietly all day, as I've heard some of you were forced to do as kids. That's not what I'm encouraging for Sabbath, but I am encouraging us to return to the heart of Sabbath, as Jesus does. Because Sabbath, my friends, is about life. Sabbath is a precious gift from God that promotes healing, community, and joy. And this is a gift, especially in today's 24-7 world, that we desperately need. So maybe some of you are sitting here still wondering, maybe not yet convinced if we need Sabbath. So we're going to do a quick cultural analysis. Okay, I need your participation. Anyone here, when you were asked this week, responded with busy? Anyone? Hey, hey. Stressed? Anyone? Tired? Yes. A lot of the young parents are like, <laughs> I'm feeling you. I'm feeling you. Okay. So I know I have. And in today's world, the truth is it's common, popular even, to wear busyness like a badge of honor, isn't it? It seems like the busier you are, the more important, the more successful you are. So think about it. You call in for a doctor's appointment, and if the receptionist says, oh, yeah, she can see you right away. Nothing's on her books. You think, oh, no. Go to a different doctor. No one likes her. And when I worked at Hope College in Michigan, I saw this busy epidemic among young adults to the extreme. Maybe some of you young adults feel this. So students were constantly complaining, also kind of sometimes bragging, about how little sleep they were getting, how overwhelmed they felt, how rushed they felt. And my heart broke. It broke because they were exhausted, but it broke because this is the kind of life they thought they were supposed to be living. They'd grown up in a culture that told them and tells us to keep doing more, 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 achieve more, consume more, be more, always more. There was a book written over a decade ago by a Harvard economist named Juliet Shore. It was called The Overworked American. It became a New York Times bestseller. People really wanted to eat this up and I guess tell their bosses they needed more time off. But <laughs> Shore reports that in the United States, after these extensive studies, they showed that work hours, stress levels are consistently on the incline whereas sleep and family time are consistently on the decline. This is true for all socioeconomic classes. Simultaneously, Shore writes that we are bombarded by messages that urge us to spend more, which means having to work more, clean our homes more, because cleanliness standards keep rising, 
Brandon reminded me of that this week when I wanted to clean our kitchen, and he didn't want to. To have, <laughs> have our children in more activities? Do you parents feel that? Eh? Yeah? All the while, find time for more self-improvement. Improve your parenting, your business, your physical fitness. Anyone feeling that strain after all this talk of New Year's resolutions? Just do more, 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 more self-improvement. It's exhausting just talking about it. Well, Shore summarizes by stating... We live in an economy and a society that are simply demanding too much from people. We're facing a busyness epidemic, a disease that has deadly consequences. And I have a feeling we could all name the various consequences on our own lives, like sickness, strained relationships, emotional instability, disconnection from God. But busyness also has far-reaching effects that we might not always consider. Think about the unemployed, the hospitalized, the imprisoned, the elderly, the children with no friends, the poor with few options for play or for work. For these people, our busy culture can be extremely oppressive and leaves them feeling isolated, bored, maybe without a sense of meaning or purpose. Maybe some of you here have felt like that, have felt forgotten as the rest of the world hurries by. But my friends, the good news is this is not what God intends for our communities, for us as individuals or us as a family of God. God made us as human beings, not human doings. We are not merely clogs in the wheel of the American economy. You are not primarily a breadwinner or a homemaker or a student or a retiree. What you are primarily is a children, a child of God. You are a child of God. You are a child of God created in God's image. You are a child of God called to participate in the life of God. This is your primary identity. But this calling, this life, gets so easily forgotten in all of our hustle and bustle, and therefore God gives us a gift, Sabbath. In Sabbath rest, God reclaims, revitalizes, and renews us so that God can reign through us. Reclaims, revitalizes, renews us so that God can reign through us us. Anyone here now convinced that they want Sabbath? You tired of hearing about how busy we are? Yes. Okay. So let's go to scripture and unpack this whole Sabbath thing. So we're going to turn back to where we first hear about God's commands for Sabbath. First in Exodus 20 and then Deuteronomy 5. Now I find it ironic that the Sabbath commandment, commandment number four, is the one that in today's culture we are so quick to dismiss. First of all, it's the longest commandment. Did you know that? It's the longest one. It's also the linchpin commandment. Oh, sorry about that. The top just says commandment number four, Sabbath. You can pick up on that. So it's the linchpin commandment that holds together what are called two tables of the law, which are love of God and love of neighbor. So commandments one through three are the first table. That's no other gods, no idols, no taking God's name in vain. They deal with our relationship with God. Then commandments five through ten have to do with our love of neighbor. 
Honor your parents. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. And what is it that holds together these two tables? It's commandment number four, Sabbath. So there's something really important about Sabbath that equips us to do both, love God and love others, which we should take seriously because that's our mission, part of our mission statement here, right? Love God, love others, be disciples who make disciples. So Sabbath is really important. Now Exodus and Deuteronomy each give us a little bit of a different flavor for why we should observe the Sabbath day. So we're going to look at that here. So Exodus 20, it points back to creation, to Genesis 2. In six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested the seventh day. The gist here is we are created in God's image, so imitate God by resting on the seventh day. But in Genesis 2, we see that there's something a little more to Sabbath than just saying, phew, and collapsing from our work. There's something more that God seems to be doing on this seventh day that we are called to imitate. And that is celebration. Celebration of God's good work. Now this part might get a little bit confusing, so this is when you need to put on your thinking caps and follow on for just a couple paragraphs. Okay. So, in Genesis 2-2, it says God finished the work that he had done and he rested. So in Hebrew, the finished and rested run parallel to one another, and they suggest that they go hand in hand. They happen at the same time, suggesting that part of God's finishing involves resting. So it's actually not really complete until God rests from his work. So one scholar explains that God was not quite done with creation on the sixth day, even though the material world was finished, but what God's work lacked, and thus what remained to be created among us, was menucha, which is the Hebrew word for the rest, the tranquility, the serenity, and the peace of God. And it is this menucha, the rest and peace of God, which finally completes creation. So it's suggested that in Genesis 2, it's not simply a cessation from activity, though that's part, but rather on the seventh day, God lifts up and celebrates all the good work that God has done. And it is this celebration that gives all of creation its ultimate purpose and meaning, which is to participate in the life of God forever. So this is why the seventh day is declared holy. So if what if this scholar is suggesting is correct, then there's something about rest and celebration that makes our work complete. So Sabbath isn't just going to sleep and saying, phew, that's over, and then getting back on the hamster wheel again the next day, but it's calling us to rest and to lift up and truly celebrate all the good work that God has done. So here's a practical Sabbath suggestion along those lines. On whatever day you practice Sabbath, I encourage you to intentionally reflect and find a way to celebrate God's good work in and through you in the previous six days. So Brandon and I have started doing this on Mondays, which is the day that we try to do Sabbath together. And we try to do this by intentionally asking each other, perhaps journaling, about all that we're grateful for this past week, both in our personal lives and in our vocations as pastors. 
And I can tell you this practice has made a huge difference for us. When we feel tired from a full week, this act of intentionally talking about and then celebrating God's provision, it reminds us of how good God is. So rather than jumping into the next week tired, we jump in excited because we've reflected on how good God was last week. And boy, it's exciting to see perhaps what God might continue to do this week. It re-energizes us for good work. This week, I encourage you to do a similar practice. Make a gratitude list of what you're grateful to God for. Maybe you want to even do this every night before bed. That's a really good spiritual practice. Because a Sabbath-shaped life is a grateful life. Because gratitude leads to life and joy, and life and joy are at the very heart of Sabbath. And it is gratitude that helps us to love and honor God. As Psalm 50 says, those who bring thanksgiving as their sacrifice honor me. And this practice of celebrating God's good work also keeps us from idolatry. Because it's so easy to think at the end of a week, isn't it? I did a really good thing. Or you get done with that project and look what I did. And we are part, God uses us, and God works in and through us, but it is not solely us who we are to think. It's God alone who sustains us and empowers us to do anything good. It's not our strength, our smarts, our technology, as much as we might like to uphold our computers and iPhones as as the ones who get us through our calendars, whatever it is. All these things are good gifts and tools, but they're not God. We are not God. On Sabbath, we're forced to remember that even if you go that one day without sending an email or working on that project or doing that chore, I promise you the world's going to keep spinning. That's a good message to remember, isn't it? The world keeps spinning. And it's good news, especially in today's culture, that tells us to constantly pull ourselves up by our bootstraps to do more, more, more improve more, succeed more, be more holy. But friends, let us remember Christ is enough. Christ is more than enough for us. So Sabbath invites us to jump off the hamster wheel long enough to remember that, that Christ is more than enough. So take a break. It's going to be okay. So that's the Exodus 20 commandment following in God's image, resting and celebrating God's good work. We move on to our Deuteronomy 5 commandment. So this one is similar, but the reasoning is a little bit different. Verse 15 says, Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath holy. So one main focus of this command is our treatment of others. God says, remember, at one time you were slaves. At one time you were forced to do back-breaking work around the clock. Remember how horrible that was and don't do that to other people. Do not be a slave master to other people. Because, you see, Sabbath rest isn't just for the ones in power. 
It's also for the workers in the home, for the children, for the foreigner in the land, and even for the livestock. Sabbath is what you might call the first labor law. One day a week, God says, give everyone a break. Everyone. So who here has ever had a boss that you might consider a workaholic? Anyone? (laughs) You better not be thinking of me. (laughs) No. I know I have. I've had those bosses that even when you're not supposed to be working on the weekend, they're sending you texts and emails and, and phone calls. And even if they say, oh, don't worry, you have the weekend off, they're doing all this extra work that makes you feel like, I have so much more to do, now I have to work on my day off. This is just unending. And it makes us feel like slaves, doesn't it? You just can't get away. I have to admit, I I joke to Brandon, but I have to admit that I've done this even in a, a relationship, not even a work setting. So there were several times in seminary where Brandon was really trying to Sabbath rest, go hiking, do something, and I just had to keep working on that paper. Or I had to get those chores done, and so I stayed home. And that prevented Brandon from being able to enjoy our relationship, which is part of Sabbath rest, deepening relationships. And my anxiety, my inability to rest, prevented him from being able to rest. So it's not just in our workplaces, it's in our homes, too. And this is what God warns us about in Deuteronomy 5. God says, remember how horrible it was to be a slave. How horrible it was to not be able to rest, to not enjoy your relationships, to not be able to get out and enjoy God's good creation. And don't do that to other people. So these are our two Sabbath commands. Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. Same command, different reasoning. Love God love others, all tied together in one. But now some of you might be wondering, this sounds scriptural, but with our hard work ethic, doesn't Sabbath just encourage laziness? I've heard that from a lot of people. Doesn't it just encourage us to be lazy? Well, here's where we need to address two pitfalls of Sabbath. The first one is license. So what Sabbath is not is a license for lazy self-indulgence. It doesn't mean sitting around on the couch all day, eating chips and watching TV. (laughs) Yeah, nice picture there, huh? This is not Sabbath. Sabbath rest is much more intentional. So in your worship bulletin, I'm going to ask you to pull that out now. Your worship bulletin has this green piece of paper that I'm going to ask you to keep. Put it somewhere important, like in your Bible or on your bedside stand, somewhere where you're not going to lose it. Keep this piece of paper because I want you to return to it again and again and again as we try to practice Sabbath together as a community. So in here you're going to see a list of questions on the front side that can help us reflect on what kinds of activities might be appropriate for Sabbath. And then on the back, there's some ideas for entering into the spirit of Sabbath. Just 14 suggestions of what you might do on a Sabbath day. And these are questions that will guide us to, because 
Sabbath is not about this license for lazy indulgence. It's about reorienting us, reorienting us away from ourself and toward God. In Sabbath rest, we ask God, as I mentioned before, to reclaim, revitalize, and renew us so that God can reign through us. And that is what leads to good work. I found that when I truly honor Sabbath, my next six days are much more productive. I'm a lot less lazy in the week to come because I feel like I have been revitalized. So true rest leads to true good work. So it's not just laziness. The second pitfall is legalism. This is what we see especially in our Luke 6 passage from today. You see, Sabbath wasn't intended to be a legalistic set of rules. Sabbath is intended to bring life and healing as we see Jesus doing on the Sabbath. So when Jesus says the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, he's not saying that this law no longer matters. He hasn't abolished the Ten Commandments. But rather, he says that if you are making this command so legalistic that you can't even heal or feed yourself on the Sabbath, then you have completely missed the heart of this command. Jesus asks in verse 9, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to destroy it? The Sabbath is made for the sake of life. Whatever you do to promote life is fulfilling the Sabbath. There were actually in that day debates going on in some different sects of Judaism that said if you see a person who's fallen down into a hole, you can only get him out if you have a rope with you. If you have to go home and get a rope, then that's too much work. you got to leave them there. Your animals, of course you leave them there. You just don't get an animal out of a hole on the Sabbath. These are the kind of legalistic things that were going on in Jesus' day. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Sabbath is about life. You don't just let people suffer in front of you on the Sabbath day. Sabbath is meant for life and for healing. So on your worship um, handout thing, you'll see that some of the practices that are suggested um, are all meant to lead to life for yourself and for others. For life, we need to worship God. For life, we need rest. For life, we need community. So you'll see um, ideas that fulfill all three of these, worship, rest, and community. You'll also see some that are ideas of service, visiting the sick, helping your neighbor, inviting others over for dinner, particularly those who don't usually have people to eat dinner with, as an act of hospitality that extends God's life and healing to those who don't have people to have community with on a regular basis. Because Jesus made clear helping others find healing and wholeness is part of Sabbath practice. Okay, so now we're going to get really practical as we close. So some of you might be thinking, sounds scriptural, these ideas sound nice, but I work on Sundays. Maybe you have a job that you work on Sundays. We don't shut down on Sundays anymore, do we? It's okay, be creative. As I said, we try to practice Sabbath on Monday. Some of you might find that you're in a stage of life where your demands of family and work just don't let you rest for a whole day. After we've had Lily, we've wondered, how do you rest with a newborn? I don't know. Be creative. (laughs) 
Just do what you can, even if it's just an hour or two. Sometimes with Lily, if I just have 15 minutes where she's sleeping, I'll sit down and try to make a little gratitude list. Just squeeze it in where you can. Some of you here might find yourself on the opposite end of the spectrum, not busy, but with more time on your hands than you would like. You might think this might not apply to you. But I do, I invite you to embrace Sabbath rest, not merely as seizing from work, but rather as a lifestyle, a lifestyle in which you celebrate God's goodness and in which you ask God to reclaim, revitalize, and renew you so that God can work through you. Perhaps you'll find that God is calling you to a different type of work, phone calls, writing notes. Maybe God will give you a new sense of purpose in a little way that you can do. Jesus made clear, my friends, that Sabbath isn't about legalistic guidelines, exactly when or exactly how to enter God's rest, but it is clear that Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. For God knows that we desperately need Sabbath. We need to stop. We need to celebrate We need to experience the fullness of life and community that God intends. So this week, Heartlanders, let's do this together. Anyone willing to do this with me to try? Just even an hour or two if you can. Put this handout somewhere important in your Bible, somewhere else. Try out some of the practices. And then next week, try out a couple more. See what works for you. Invite your family or some friends to practice with you because community is part of Sabbath. It might be awkward at first. It was certainly for me, but I promise it will be worth it. It's the linchpin commandment for a reason. It truly helps us to love God and love others. Who here wants to love God and love others well? Anyone? I'm asking you to do a lot of hand raising today. (laughs) Just giving you a workout. If you want to love God and love others, I encourage you. We've got to Sabbath. It's very important. It's a gift from God. Let us pray. Lord of all creation, we praise you for the gift that is Sabbath. We help, help us this week to enter your holy rest, to celebrate all that you have achieved for us, to remember that, Christ, you are enough. Keep us from the pitfalls of license or legalism. May we experience your life, your peace, your joy. We pray all of this in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.